welcome to another episode of the Vestibule Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Vest, founder and publisher of the Substack newsletter, The Vestibule. This episode is titled, Dr. and bears the subtitle, The Halloween Apocalypse Gets Dr. Who's Series 13 Off to a Rollicking Start. This review was first published on December 31st, 2021, and was written by myself, Jason P. Vest. The episode's pedigree is as follows. The Halloween Apocalypse, Chapter 1 of Series 13 season-long, six-episode serialized story subtitled Flux, was written by Chris Chibnall and directed by Jamie Magnus Stone. It stars Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor, Mandip Gill as Yasmin Yaz Khan, and John Bishop as Dan Lewis. The Halloween Apocalypse guest stars Craig Ells as Carvinista, Roshenda Sandal as both Anna and Azure, Sam Spruill as Swarm, and Jacob Anderson as Instant V. Vinder. The episode is 51 minutes long and was first broadcast on both BBC One and BBC America on October 31st, 2021. And now, on with the show. Listen to me, Carbonista. If you think you have won this little skirmish, you are very much mistaken. Do not imagine for a second that you have got the better of us. Right, Yaz? Oh, yeah. We are totally in command. Is that right? Because from what I'm offering, you seem to be handcuffed and footlocked to a gravity bar, which in 79 seconds will release you into the boiling acid ocean directly below, where your bodies will instantly disintegrate. Even if you survive that, which you won't, in four minutes' time, the entire planet will be engulfed by a nearby giant red star. Oh, and if you try and escape, my kill discs will blast you to pieces. Meanwhile, I am now far away. Traveling towards what will in future be known as the final hours of planet Earth. What? Don't worry, you'll be long dead. Ah. I must admit, Yaz, I can't help feeling that some of this is my fault. Some. All of this is your fault. What do you mean? Accidentally blowing up... Section 1. Goings and Comings. On Halloween night 2021, Doctor Who returned to television for its 13th series in 16 years, offering audiences a shortened season of six interconnected episodes that showrunner Chris Chibnall, star Jodie Whittaker, and the British Broadcasting Corporation, or BBC, promised would tell a single story. The shift in narrative format mimics classic Doctor Who's serial structure while introducing, for the first time since New Who's 2005 debut, an appropriately ambiguous season subtitle, Flux. This premiere is no small matter either, arriving after months of news stories about Doctor Who's future, gave fans much to consider, to embrace, and to regret. As late as the day before the Halloween apocalypse's October 31st, 2021 broadcast, these developments threatened to overshadow Flux despite the BBC's recent intense promotional push. The network's executives, it seems, belatedly realizing that Flux is their proper focus. Given these news flashes' fast and furious pace, divided attention was inevitable. To recap, first came July 29, 2021's announcement that Series 13 would be Jodie Whittaker's third and final season as Keeper of the TARDIS Keys. Whittaker here follows the now-expected pattern established by her three immediate predecessors in the role, with David Tennant as the 10th Doctor, Matt Smith as the 11th Doctor, and Peter Capaldi as the 12th Doctor, all playing the program's titular protagonist for three seasons, or series as the Brits call them, before moving on to other roles and challenges, causing Doctor Who fans everywhere to lament the incumbent performer's retirement before feverishly speculating about her or his successor. 
such as happened with Whitaker, who received the consequent outpouring of acclaim for her work on Doctor Who as graciously as she has handled everything else related to the part. Whitaker's statement about leaving also provoked considerable off-track betting about her replacement, illustrating yet again that London's bookies are never happier than when the roles of the Doctor and James Bond are coming empty, meaning that 2021 has been a banner year for them. Whitaker fully deserves this praise, which has been too parsimonious during her tenure aboard the TARDIS. Considering how terrific she has been as the 13th Doctor, some viewers may have forgotten that Whitaker took over from Capaldi while facing backlash from regressive Who fans for breaking ground as the first woman to play the role. She has been superb in every episode despite lingering and wrong-headed criticisms about the supposedly poor writing that has dogged her installments. As readers of my Series 11 reviews know, I don't share this opinion, leading me to report with equal regret that Chris Chibnall will depart alongside Whitaker. Chibnall's critics, some of whom fall into the category toxic fandom as if born to it, have crowed about the fact that he becomes the first of whose revival showrunners to captain only three seasons of the BBC's flagship time travel drama. Russell T. Davis, after all, oversaw four full series in the five later specials that concluded his era, while Stephen Moffat managed six full seasons, including the 50th anniversary year of 2013 and its 50th anniversary special, The Day of the Doctor, to prove to Chibnall's haters that he has been fired. In this telling, Chibnall's dodgy creative decisions, particularly Series 12's controversial but fascinating Timeless Child storyline, produced declining ratings and fan recoil, this last being less pronounced than its most vociferous advocates claim, but real nonetheless, that required the BBC to say enough. I cannot speak to these behind-the-scenes machinations. Yes, the BBC may have become so unhappy with Chibnall's choice to rewrite seemingly much of the Doctor's and the franchise's backstory that its executives pink-slipped him, making Chibnall's official statement that he and Whitaker agreed to a three-series-and-out pact little more than professional face-saving. Even the BBC's request that Chibnall and Whitaker extend their run with an additional feature-length special that will celebrate the network's 2022 centenary and that will see Whitaker's 13th Doctor regenerate into her successor is not evidence that Chibnall leaves in better odor than his detractors claim. Now, friends, as predictable as the sun rising in the east tomorrow morning, these readers of the BBC's corporate mind believe the network's bosses only approved the centenary special to squelch Chibnall from publicly disclosing their high-handed treatment of him. And who knows if such conjecture is true? Everyone at the BBC may in fact backbite everyone else all the time. Truth be told, I neither know nor care. Unlike his haters, I have found Chibnall's era to be as enjoyable and edifying as Russell T. Davis's and Stephen Moffat's, with Chibnall's missteps being less objectionable than claimed to wit. He thankfully avoided Moffat's compulsion to turn companions, especially women, into characters whose lives revolve fully around the Doctor. Then came Russell T. Davis's September 24, 2021 announcement that he will return as Doctor Who showrunner for its 60th anniversary year in 2023, a move that delights me as an unabashed admirer of Davis's writing for the franchise and for everything else, but that has provoked schizophrenia in members of the Chibnall as villain camp, many of whom publicly extol the Davis era as those halcyon days when Doctor Who was fit and fabulous. Even if nostalgia makes memories hazy and gauzy and unreliable, and, if you look hard enough, you just might locate online comments by these same people about how rubbish Davis was during his first go-round with Doctor Who. Especially, they said, his tendencies for two convenient denouements and two bombastic series finales. 
pay no attention to these contradictions, however, since we must remember that 1. Whovians are a famously chatty and disputatious bunch whose incessant carping is a force unto itself. And 2. Noting such hypocrisy interferes with declaring Chris Chibnall the worst Doctor Who writer since Stephen Moffat, who, in his day, was the worst thing to happen to Doctor Who since Russell T. Davis, who was, well, you get the picture. Section 2. Comings and Goings. As such, the many press releases, hopes, and fears flying about cyberspace have threatened to swamp Doctor Who in a mire of rumor and innuendo. But now that Flux's premiere episode, remember, the first of only six, has arrived, one hopes that we can return to enjoying the show itself, rather than shouting about its production whims and woes. Chibnall, always good with titles, serves up the Halloween apocalypse as Flux's inaugural entry to suggest that a fun and spooky adventure awaits. After all the bile, excitement, and hoopla the past few months have occasioned, what a relief it is to ask, how good is this newest entry? Good enough is my response. Even if the Halloween apocalypse is not quite as fine as it should be, and not quite as sharp as Chibnall's previous two season premieres. Series 11's The Woman Who Fell to Earth, and Series 12's Spyfall, Part 1. Yet the Halloween apocalypse may be better than it has any right to be. Chibnall offers more exposition than seems wise even for an episode that introduces a complex, serialized plot that delves deeper into the already complicated timeless child narrative he has created, a move bound to upset fans who disdain this development, which was suggested, after all, by only a single exchange in Chibnall's second Who installment. Series 11's The Ghost Monument, first broadcast way back on October 14th, 2018. Afraid of your own news. We see deeper, though, further back, the timeless child. What did you just say? She doesn't know. What are you talking about? What can you see? We see what's hidden, even from yourself. The outcast, abandoned and unknown. Get out of my head. If you can parse even small passages of that last paragraph, you may well enjoy the Halloween apocalypse for what it is. Chibnall's grand place-setting episode, wherein he establishes the players, the locations, the themes, and the conflicts that Flux will dramatize. Chibnall prefers the furious pace that Doctor Who stories have always favored, with the Halloween apocalypse being no exception. In simpler language, viewers must pay strict attention to every last detail, or get left behind. This outing does not tarry with recaps or reminders about where we last saw the 13th Doctor, an effervescent Whitaker, and her longtime companion Yasmin Yaz Khan, the excellent Mandip Gill. Yaz and the Doctor, we learn, have been traveling together since their friends Ryan Sinclair, played by Tosin Cole, and Graham O'Brien, played by Bradley Walsh, exited the TARDIS for good at the conclusion of Revolution of the Daleks, January 1st, 2021's New Year's Day special. Yes, friends, ten months have elapsed since Doctor Who last graced our screens, but during this interregnum, Chimnall has not lost his taste for absurd spectacle. 
The opening shot of the Halloween apocalypse, for instance, finds the Doctor and Yaz hanging upside down from a hovering metal bar that suspends them over an unnamed planet's ocean of acid. Yes, really. A helmeted character named Carvanista, played by Craig Ells, explains in his acerbic dialogue that he is wearied of the Doctor tracking him throughout space and time. So Carvanista decides to do what so many previous characters have failed to accomplish, and the Doctor's travels once and for all. Bad move, long-time viewers think, since the Doctor scrambles the hoverbar's engines to rush herself and Yaz through the air, racing toward the TARDIS in a sequence whose visual effects mix impressive foreground renderings with dodgy background images. These shots may not quite mesh, but this first sequence's tempo is so frenetic that these flaws, having characterized New Who since Rose launched the show in 2005, seem forgivable. Indeed, why complain when watching these events is so much fun? Once safely aboard the TARDIS, the Doctor refuses to stop chasing Carvanista, telling Yaz, No one gets away with doing that to us. Jodie Whittaker again proves why her departure from Doctor Who will be a hammer blow. She pitches this dialogue perfectly, on the edge of anger that expresses more annoyance than rage, even if Whittaker makes it clear that Carvanista has made the worst mistake of his life by opposing the Doctor. Viewers, therefore, may be taken by surprise when Carvinista later removes his helmet to reveal the face of a large dogman. Yes, dear listener, Carvinista is Lupari, a canine species that walks upright and that is species-bonded to humanity, a concept that will take on life-or-death significance later in the Halloween apocalypse. He is also the last living member of Division, the temporal covert ops agency that erased the Doctor's memories of being the timeless child. This development, however, comes only after the episode jumps frantically from location to location to introduce unrelated guest characters that, you guessed it, are linked by unexpected circumstances. Chimnall nicks this expository technique wholesale from every disaster movie ever filmed, having employed it in previous episodes, particularly 2019's New Year's Day special, Resolution, as well as Series 12's first and sixth outings, Spyfall Part 1 and Praxius, respectively. Viewers are flung from Liverpool, England in the year 1820, where a man named Joseph Williamson, played by Steve Oram, ominously presides over scores of bereft workers digging huge tunnels underneath the city, to the faraway space station observation outpost Rose, where Officer Instan V. Vinder, played by Jacob Anderson, makes his daily report, number 21,754 to be precise. Despite Vinder's view of galactic space being unimaginably beautiful, nothing much has changed. We stop along the way at an Arctic research station whose two inhabitants, Jan, played by Gunnar Coterie, and Anna, played by Roshenda Sandal, encounter a glowing device that floats above their garage floor that both characters seem to recognize if not fear, and that Anna quickly smashes with a shovel. The Doctor, in the meantime, receives a vision or psychic projection from a creature known only as Swarm, played by Matthew Needham, as he breaks free from his millennia-long confinement in a cage located on the remnants of the Burnished Rage battleground, whatever that is. He does so by exploiting weaknesses in his containment capsule's security fields, then slaughtering the two female Division agents sent to monitor his captivity before draining their life forces. Swarm then seems to regenerate, Time Lord style, into a different incarnation of himself. This one also called Swarm, and now played by Sam Spruill, who bears a face that resembles a varnished human skull with rockier metal spikes jutting from different areas. 
As this description implies, Swarm is a menacing creation who recalls Chibnall's first Doctor Who antagonist. Series 11, Zim Shaw, played by Samuel Oatley, and who similarly profits from the makeup team's terrific prosthetics. As busy as this installment already is, we have not yet finished touring its locales, or Dramatis Personae. No, the Halloween apocalypse keeps the surprises coming by including a single weeping angel, by next bringing back the Santarans, that fierce but short warrior species whose members resemble dumplings in spacesuits, and, just to keep us on our toes, by then introducing a brand new companion in the form of John Bishop's instantly likable Dan Lewis. Phew. Blimey. Chibnall fills his narrative cup to the brim, requiring viewers to track these disparate elements not merely across the episode's fictional universe, but also across the first 15 minutes of the Halloween apocalypse's 51-minute running time. Put another way, and perhaps more generously, Doctor Who, on a frame-by-frame -frame basis, gives us more than our money's worth in Flux's inaugural entry. What is that call sign? Why is it bothering me so much? Species recall. Universal pattern. That's it. Thank you. Spe no, what? Wait. You're on species recall right now. The Lupari are species bonded to humanity. And for every human, there's a paired guardian looper. The bond is our genetic obligation and our honor. Only ever to come into effect in the ultimate crisis. Seven billion ships. Seven billion humans. Man's best friend. Not if you don't power up my ship. But what is it you're saving them from? You don't know. I've been busy. The flux. What's the flux? A hurricane. Ripping through the structure of this universe. Disrupting every particle. The falling of the structure of the universe. A cataclysm of unknown proportions or patterns. We, we don't know for sure. And when is this flux due to happen? It's already begun. Section 3. Leavings and Weavings. The Halloween apocalypse lives up to its name, particularly in its unabashed love of Doctor Who's long lineage of monsters. The Weeping Angels, for instance, may be Stephen Moffat's greatest contribution to Doctor Who's ever-expanding roster of extraterrestrials. But, in the Halloween apocalypse, a single member of this silently dangerous species haunts a human woman named Claire, played by Annabelle Scully, who comes upon the Doctor and Yaz just as they arrive in Liverpool, England on October 31st, 2021, having tracked Carvanista there. Claire says that she has encountered the perplexed Doctor and Yaz before, but that this meeting occurs in the future, making their confusion understandable. This short interaction recalls the meeting Sally Sparrow, played by Carrie Mulligan, has with the Tenth Doctor, played by David Tennant, and Martha Jones, played by Freema Adjaman, near the conclusion of Moffat's Blink, the brilliant third season installment that introduces the Weeping Angels for the first time. Chibnall's love of Who lore deepens to alarming proportions when Claire says that she is... Taking the long way home. This reference to Moffat's The Day of the Doctor, the franchise's fantastic 50th anniversary special, evokes the statement made by the 11th Doctor, played by Matt Smith, during that episode's final moments that he will travel home to his native planet Gallifrey. The long way round. A trip only completed by his successor, Peter Capaldi's 12th Doctor, in Series 9's penultimate episode, Heaven Sent. Got that? Yes? No? Maybe? Don't worry, dear listener, Chibnall designs the Halloween apocalypse to pay off plot lines, characters, and themes that stretch to New Who's beginnings and before, making his choice to drive this installment at a furious clip wiser than it initially appears, especially when its most significant details are laid out in so short a space. 
Would it surprise you to know that I have forgotten a few? Foremost among them the fact that Arctic researcher Anna, you know, the one who destroyed that floating thingamajig with a shovel, is, in fact, Swarm's sister. Revealed in a scene midway through the episode as a creature who sports a jewel-encrusted blue skull and the name Azure. Get it? Then there is the Flux, the subject of Series 13 subtitle. What might that be? Oh, nothing less than a universe-destroying force that resembles a murky shockwave rippling through deep space that Officer Vinder witnesses vaporize three planets before he escapes Observation Outpost Rose in a small pod. How shocking would it be to learn that the Flux will eventually consume Earth? Not at all. Chibnall here throws so many science fiction tropes into Doctor Who's narrative blender that everything and nothing become predictable. Given this episode's pell-mell rush, the fact that we can understand the Halloween apocalypse at all qualifies as some type of victory. This outing's expositional coefficient is big enough to drag it down, but Chibnall handles everything deftly enough that we can follow along, if, that is, we pay close enough attention. And the Halloween apocalypse is not yet done. It introduces a new companion to the Doctor and to Doctor Who, meaning that it qualifies as an important episode regardless of anything else. Although I had hoped that Series 13 would see Yaz travel alone with the Doctor, if we must meet a new companion, then Chibnall's decision to cast comedian John Bishop as Dan Lewis pays off magnificently. Dan is a proud Liverpudlian, indeed so proud that he gives tours of the Museum of Liverpool despite not working there and, in a line enthusiastically uttered by Bishop, even refers to himself as A vicious ghost. Dan seems to work odd jobs. His occupation remains unclear, but, when we meet him, he volunteers time at Liverpool's Jennings Street Food Bank, refuses to take home soup despite his fridge and cupboards being bare, and gives Halloween candy to visiting trick-or-treaters. Dan, as such, joins New Who's long line of compassionate, everyday strivers. He's a working-class bloke whose essential goodness makes him a prime candidate for traveling with the doctor, even if doing so will forever change him. Bishop plays Dan as a sweet, happy-go-lucky fellow who doesn't complain about his straightened circumstances, but simply gets on with life by enjoying what he can, where he can. He is one of the best aspects of the Halloween apocalypse, so seeing more of Dan as Flux unfolds is a welcome prospect. Bishop seems up to the challenge of playing whatever Chibnall throws at him, so I look forward to watching this new addition to Who's cast nearly as much as I anticipate enjoying the delightful tag-team rhythm that Yaz and the Doctor have developed during their solo travels. Speaking of the Flux, its meaning stays in Flux, get it? Until the final moments of the Halloween apocalypse, where it presages, drumroll please, nothing less than the end of the universe itself. Doctor Who has been here many times before, so the question isn't if the Doctor will save all of space and time from utter devastation, but rather how she will do so. Chris Chibnall knows this as well as anyone, so he engineers a nice narrative reversal in the Halloween Apocalypse's final act. When the Doctor realizes that the Flux has already begun annihilating other planets and will soon reach Earth, she and Yaz also recognize that Carvanista is not, as they presumed, the advance scout of a Lupari invasion fleet. Instead, the species bond that the Lupari share with human beings compels the Lupari to send their 7 billion interstellar ships to Earth to save as many people as possible from the Flux's destruction. Carvanista is personally bonded to Dan, meaning that, despite not liking his personality, Carvanista attempts to save Dan throughout the Halloween apocalypse. 
Craig Ells is marvelous in the role, which cannot be easy given that Ells must play Carvinista as a proud warrior while wearing a furry dog head, whose expressiveness marks another triumph by Doctor Who's makeup team, even as it risks making Carvinista more cute and cuddly than intimidating. So, friends, the Halloween apocalypse is all too much in conception, but better than expected in execution. This judgment is a credit to the cast and crew's talents, to say nothing of their commitment to bringing off a script packed to the gills with portent and incident. Chibnall sets a high bar for Flux's remaining five episodes, so let us hope these future installments slow down enough to weave many, if not all, the threads begun here into an attractive tapestry. The Halloween apocalypse achieves its chief aim, namely, keeping me coming back for more, so I shall credit Chibnall with a good enough job here, yet await stronger dramatic tidings in the weeks ahead. This review of Doctor Who's The Halloween Apocalypse includes an endnotes section, but since the three notes included there only offer publication information, I won't repeat them here. Please read Doctor on the digital device of your choice to see these notes and to access the hyperlinks embedded in them. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vestibule Podcast. Please visit the newsletter's website at vestibule.substack.com to read this entry, to explore the images and linked resources available there, and to access all other posts. Until next time, this is Jason Vest, wishing you good humor and good cheer.